Verse 32, Hebrews 11. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who, through faith, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us. Remember that. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, you can be seated. Okay, so we have been in, and, and I was getting a little foggy on our timeline here. If, if you're new with us, this is what we do here at the Parks Church. We preach through books of the Bible, and we've been making our way uh, really slowly through the book of Hebrews. And we've been in it for, for several months now, but we've been really going slowly through Hebrews chapter 11. So it's been 11 weeks in Hebrews chapter 11. That's, we didn't plan it that way, okay? But it's been uh, eight teaching weeks, okay? So 11 weeks we've been in, in this chapter, but eight teaching weeks. And over those eight weeks, we've covered um, 16 people. This is apart from this morning. Uh, 16 people's stories of faith. 16 different examples, 16 pillars of faith. But I want to remind you, as I've reminded you every week since we've been in this famous chapter known as the Hall of Faith, chapter 11 of Hebrews, is that Hebrews 11, like the rest of Scripture, right, is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so these stories, these people, these men and women that Hebrews 11 illuminates, they are um, witnesses, okay, and I'll, I'll bring that word up again. They are witnesses to the goodness of of God, to the faithfulness of God, ultimately known to us in Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to preach Hebrews 12. Sam's going to do that next week, but I'm going to just dabble a little bit in it, all right, since I won't be with you. Um, Hebrews 12, uh, verse 1, um, after this incredible chapter, right, of, of by faith, by faith, through faith, says this. I want you to hear this. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, what we just went through In Hebrews 11, what we're going to go through today, this is those cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So it moves from, hey, we just put out this encouragement, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, meaning from the Old Testament pointing to the coming Messiah, then Hebrews 12 verse 1 turns it to us. Did you see that? Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Hebrews 11, this is where I'll I'll get back in my territory now. Hebrews, Hebrews 11 gives us instruction, right, from these lives of faithful obedience on how we are to run how we're to run in this life, or as as the writer of Hebrews says, in this race. We've seen, hopefully, over the last eight teachings or the 11 weeks, the Holy Spirit has illuminated for us 
a clarity of what faith looks like and what it doesn't look like. What faith looks like in participation in God's kingdom work, right? We all know this and we acknowledge it nearly every week. God doesn't need us, does he, to advance his kingdom? The answer to that is no. But yet he chooses, right? He chooses to allow us to participate in what he's doing by and through faith. And so today is going to be in many ways a reminder. It's going to be a review of what we've hit week after week in Hebrews chapter 11. And one of the things that we're going to see is a misconception clarified, I hope, if the Holy Spirit would allow, to clarify a oftentimes a misconception within Christian faith. But let's start with verse 32, and this is what we'll do. We'll just unpack it section by section, so keep your copy of God's Word open. And the first thing is this, is this list of people here. And the writer, after listing all of these different Abraham, Moses, Noah, uh, Rahab, Joshua, right? All these things that, that he's went through. He says, what more shall I say? But he's got more to say, right? He's, he's, he's your typical preacher, okay? He says, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Je- Jephthah, of David, Samuel, and all the prophets. That's a pretty good list, right? And I would guess most of you, in looking at that list, and and, and in fact, the list included throughout um, Hebrews 11, you know most of those stories, but Gideon, that's a a decently familiar one. Barak, mm, Samson, know him. Jephthah? Like, did he just make that up so we go check it, right? Like, is that actually in there? It is. I'll explain it in a little bit. David? We know David, King David. Samuel? Probably most of you know that. But one of the things I want to highlight here, and I've highlighted it before in Hebrews 11, is that when you look at these lists, it's easy to to see all the great things that these men and women did. That's point number one, right? Like, you should see that, that all these great things that they did by faith. The second thing is that you need to understand that they were all also flawed. And I think in this very particular list here in Hebrews 11, here at the end, you know many of their flaws, But every single person in this list, just the the, the list that was just included there, Gideon, Gideon hid from God, right? This this conquering warrior, right? With just a handful of men defeated thousands and thousands of other soldiers. He was found hiding and questioning God, right? Like like Barak, he he was this imperfect king who teamed up with Deborah, this incredible prophetess, right? But in his life, you look at it, he, he went on to, by faith, conquer armies, but there was a moment in his life where he, he's talking to Deborah, this prophetess, and she's, she's giving him the word from the Lord to him, and he goes, I'm not going to battle without you. I'm not going without you. And there's this, there's this struggle and this wrestle with true faith in God. He doubted God in this moment. And Samson, I mean, we all know that, right? Like the dumbest, strongest guy we know, okay? But in the end, what is Samson's story? He was faithful, right, in that moment to the one true God. Jephthah, right, the one who no one in here knows, is a man who was born from a prostitute in Uriah's story in, in Judges, who grew up from the craziest beginnings to be this faithful warrior king. Grew up to be a faithful warrior king, um, going out by faith to defeat the Amorites for the people of God. However, on his return back from this defeat, from this victory, his victory, he makes a silly, silly, sinful vow. Flawed. David. 
Don't need to unpack that one because most of you know his life, his story. Samuel, this incredible man of God, full of integrity. Yet what you see in his life is that he failed to raise his sons with the same integrity he had. And I, 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 don't, I don't say those as giving qualifiers to go, yeah, sure, you know. I say that as a way of you and I understanding the heart of God and understanding the gospel. That the people that God uses, everyone God uses, is broken. Everyone is flawed. And that is the power and the beauty of the gospel, is that everyone who comes before God must acknowledge their brokenness, must acknowledge that they are flawed, that they, they are needy. You see, but then the good news comes, and here's the good news, that Jesus redeems our pasts, he redeems our flaws. He forgives our sin, our struggle, our shame. Through grace, it is absolutely reconciled. It is changed in the trajectory of our lives through faith are forever changed, are forever altered because of Christ. Some of you, listen to me, some of you as Christ followers, you are so bound by your past failures you're so bound in the enemy, you've allowed him to sideline your participation in the kingdom of God. As I read Hebrews 12, it's looking at those people who are living by faith, you and me, those who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ is going, no, this is your race to run. You've been given what you need in Christ, not in yourself. You didn't manufacture this. You didn't come up with it. You didn't self-effort it. You didn't will it yourself. You have been given what you need in Christ to run by faith this race. And you cannot let the enemy disqualify you. The enemy loves nothing more than to get your ear and your heart and constantly remind you of your past, right? Your flaws, your shame, right? Maybe he even reminds you of Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, but you've really sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You ever been there? You're like, wait a minute, Kyle, did you just say that Satan uses the Bible to condemn my heart? You bet he does. How do you know that? Jesus, right? After his baptism, the inauguration of his ministry, going out to the wilderness for 40 days, Satan shows up to him. Read the story, right? And what, what is it that rolls off of Satan's mouth to Jesus? Scripture, time and time again, trying to deceive, trying to tempt Jesus away. Satan uses scripture against us, these half-truths, twisting and manipulating them. He's wielding the very thing that sets us free against us. However, and I love it, we sing uh, the song, uh, I believe it's written by Shane and Shane, Embracing Accusation. In that, in that song, it talks about the accusations that the, that, that the enemy will bring against us that are true, right? We have sinned, we are flawed, we are broken. However, he's forgotten the refrain, right? He's forgotten the rest of the story. Romans 5a, for God demonstrated his love toward us while we were still yet sinners. What did Christ do? He died for us to deliver us and to set us free. And so listen, what we throw right back at the enemy when he wants to accuse us is the word of God, the truth of God. But what we've seen in Hebrews 11 is that this list, these lists of people are flawed, faithful people. Flawed people. That should be an encouragement to you and me, right? I hope it is this morning. And what flows through this, and, and, and I love this list. It says in verse 33 through 34, who through faith, there it is, 
conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, and we are like, yes and amen, right? We're like, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's, that's what I see as victory. And you're right, that is victory. That is God's victory on display. Those big things, right? The, the, the mouths of the lions, right? When, when Daniel, these aren't just little childish kid stories. These are stories that are meant to inspire and encourage and inform our faith about who our God is, right? Daniel in, in the lion's dinner, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace are these other moments where we just see these incredible feats of victory. These incredible feats of victory are not for the person, they're not so that, that, that Daniel's revered or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are revered. These signs and these pictures of victory are so that we see who God is clearly. We see his goodness. We see his, his power. We see his might on display. And so listen, this list of victories is, shouldn't just be like, oh, this should be something that elevates our faith to go, our God can do that. Amen? Our God can move in power and in might. And listen, in a community of faith like ours, we've seen God move like this. And what I mean like this, I mean invisible, tangible ways, right? We've seen the, 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 the medical scans come back after prayer that go, hey, the scan showed this, but then after, after prayer and fasting and seeking the Lord, the next scan was clear, right? That's God moving in power and victory, not so that the name of the church is elevated or even the name of the person is elevated. It's so that he's seen clearly in his power and his might are seen. We, we, we've seen some of the craziest things happen where by faith, we just trust the Lord that he can intervene and he can literally bring back dead relationships to be renewed and made whole again, right? Like that's his miraculous power on display. And so let me tell you, the Lord is victorious. His victories go forth to show us who he is. And honestly, we need to get better at celebrating those. We need to get better at acknowledging those, right? We probably have the majority of people in here who have received the greatest miracle on the planet, right? Of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ making our dead souls now alive. That's why I'm convinced that our baptism service, why are some of the most powerful services here at the Parks Church? Because it's testimony after testimony of people going, I was dead in my sin until Christ intervened, and now I've been made alive. Ultimately, that's what all these signs in the Old Testament, New Testament are pointing to, is the power of God for salvation. Right? Walking across, like what we talked about last week, walking the, the Israelites walking across the, the, the Red Sea on dry land. Right? That's a miracle when we look at that and we go, yes, God is powerful, but that is a picture of what he does in Christ to our souls, right? The impossibility unless he parts that. He saves us. He redeems us through, through Christ, and that is victory, and it should be celebrated. But I think verses 35 through 38 bring also clarity on what true victory is. And I would put, and not to overplay this too much, I would put those last victories, powerful display of God, as lowercase v victories. There is an uppercase v victory that God is always and constantly working out. Because I come to places like 35 through 38, and this is a sobering section of text, um, but I'm going to take week, eight weeks off after it, so um, let's go through it. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release. Others suffered mocking and flogging, chains, imprisonment. 
They were stoned. They were sawn in two. That's talking about Isaiah, the prophet. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins and sheep clothes, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, wandering in deserts and mountains and dens and caves. Does that sound like victory to you? All of those things are still attached to verse 33. Through faith. Let's not forget what this this section is leading us toward, right? Ultimately Christ. But through faith, they went through. They suffered. They walked through these things. And this section of scripture is completely blowing up one of the biggest misconceptions about the Christian faith. This section of scripture, the misconception that is very clearly seen refuted, is that as Christians, this is a misconception, As Christians, everything in this life is going to go well for you. That everything in this life, once you receive Christ, then everything in your life is going to be cupcakes and roses. And all that, like, we all could jump up and go, baloney! Right? That's where this text, right? We we just went through like, oh, they enforced justice, they conquered kingdoms, they promises, stop the mouths of lions, Christian power. Yeah, that's 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 where I want to live. I want to live in that kind of stuff. But what happens when 35 through 38 defines our lives? What happens when those things happen? Right? The health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that is alive and well today must have missed this section in their Bible. Because this is talking about believers. This is talking about those who have strong faith in the Lord. And, and, and I think in our community, and I mean the Parks Church, I think we can um, sniff out the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel pretty well. I'm confident in, in, in our teaching, in our structure, in the community of this church. However, let's not be, uh, let's not be too naive that I think there are acceptable versions of that permeating in our hearts even here. Maybe it's the version, the acceptable version of, you know, God wants us happy. God wants me to be happy. No, no. God wants you something far deeper than that. God wants your life and you to be rooted in joy. Happiness is this fleeting emotion that comes and goes. And God is trying to establish in your life and in my life something much deeper than something that can be changed by circumstance. And that is joy. And that is what the Lord is trying to work in your life, in my life. Or what what, what about this one that has its way of working in that that, that God God wants us comfortable and secure. Um, What I have found in my life and as I study the pages of Scripture is that oftentimes as people mature in their faith, they don't grow more comfortable, they go, grow more uncomfortable. And their security, yes, it does grow, but it grows less in the things that we think will bring us security, and it grows more in the trust of who God is. That is faith. That is Christian faith. And so we could call it um, an uncomfortable security that God wants to bring in us. A security that says, wherever I am and whatever happens or is happening to me, I'm confident. I'm sure, right? That doesn't mean I'm comfortable. It just means I'm secure, and oftentimes I'm very uncomfortable. And to be honest, m- me being uncomfortable keeps me very dependent. 
when I find myself kind of slipping into this comfortable place, guess how it, it affects my dependency? It goes the other way. As my comfort goes up, my dependency goes down. That's not always true, but that is true most of the time in my life. And I want to bring us back a little bit to the original audience of Hebrews. The original audience of this letter was a group of persecuted Jewish Christians in Rome, okay? A church that is being persecuted, that's being ripped away from family, being thrown in prison, and their persecution, hear me, their persecution is about to get worse, At the end of this letter, their persecution is going to get so intense by a crazy emperor named Nero, where they're not just losing property and friends, but they're actually losing their lives. And what the letter of Hebrews, through the Holy Spirit, is trying to do is trying to establish a faithful, secure people in Christ above all else. And so he's using these pictures of of, of faithful people to establish their feet squarely on the bedrock of Christ. And we must understand as the Christian church, as, as, as the church in America, we are quickly moving toward a shape and form of persecution. For many, many seasons, many generations, the church in America, let's be honest, was, was pampered, was catered to, was applauded, but that day is changing. And I even fear to use the word persecution in this room, seriously, to describe the American church, Right? knowing what the church in Iran is going through, our brothers and sisters in Vietnam. Or you look back historically, right, with World War II and all of those different things and those atrocities, right? But the church in the trajectory of where we are headed is not toward more pampering, it's toward persecution. And I don't say that to be an alarmist. I say that so that we might understand the direction and trajectory that we're on. But here is the good news in that. And and by the way, that shouldn't surprise us. Like, if you know history at all, if you know even the slightest bit of church history, you know that is the trajectory. But here's the good news. The church actually thrives most when it's what? Pampered? Applauded? No, it thrives most when it's under pressure. Why? Because that's when the true church actually is recognized and seen. That true remnant is known. It's like cattle. It, like, it unifies the real church. So is that, is that terrifying? No. Is it encouraging? Because of faith in Christ, it actually is. And it seems paradoxical, right? That seems like, wait a minute, it gets stronger under those things? But this is the whole Christian life. This is the whole Christian life of faith, right? What, what, what did Jesus say? You want to gain your life? How do you gain your life, Jesus would say? Lose. That's right. You know your Bible, right? What else did he say? You want to be great? Become the servant of all. Become the least. You want to be first? It's this upside down kingdom. And so what the Holy Spirit is doing, both in the lives of the people of the original audience and hopefully, Lord willing, today, is that he's trying to get us to see that God is always desiring to do a deeper work in you and me. A deeper work. Not a superficial, just kind of mow over the weeds, but he wants to go deep into the roots of our lives. He's doing something in us so that whether it's feast or famine, success or struggle, our faith is growing deeper and deeper in the victory of Jesus' death and resurrection. And that's it. So whatever surface victory or success that's happening doesn't matter because our anchor is in the victory 
of Jesus' death and resurrection, I think there is a tendency in the church to confuse success and victory. Success and victory. Um, and oftentimes when we hear the word victory, we, we think about this word, we think of earthly outcomes, and those are typically attached to what we prefer. In verses 35 through 38, I don't think that was the preference of anyone in those texts. Any of those women, any of those moms, any of those people who are martyred or stoned to death for the name of Christ. But in no way were those losses. In no way were those not victories for the kingdom of God. I don't mean to sound like a middle school basketball coach here, but take it as you will. Not all successes are victories, and not all losses are defeats in the kingdom of God. And like I talked about a couple weeks ago, the eyes of faith can recognize the difference between the two. And so true, genuine faith, I want to kind of just wrap this up here, wrap up Hebrews 11. True, genuine Christian faith empowers us to live lives for God's glory and not selfish gain. That it's by faith we have this empowerment to trust God's word. We trust that God's word does not fail. His promises will not fail. But we have to know God's word. We have to know his promises to actually see what we're standing on. And faith empowers us. And not only does faith empower us, genuine faith sustains us. And particularly faith, Christian faith, sustains us in those moments of suffering. Moments that many of you are walking in right now, some known and some unknown. God, the faith, the Christian faith, sustains us in those. Can God miraculously deliver, heal? Yes, absolutely. Has he in the past? Yes and amen. Will we pray that way? Yes, we absolutely will. But what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't? And this is a point I want you to hear, is that true Christian faith concedes to God's will. It trusts God. God, we're gonna pray this way. We're gonna believe in faith this way. However, we are going to, in faith, concede to your will. God, whatever you want to do, however you wanna do it, I trust you. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. I hate that because that's what I'm good at. I'm good at leaning on my own understanding. I'm good, I'm really good at leaning on my own intellect, right? But my goodness, could I tell you stories where that have led me? But he goes on to say, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Who will? He will, God will. And so true Christian faith concedes like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, Father, um, not my will, but yours be done. And then faith prepares us for the unknown. I really like to know things to a fault. I really like to be in the know, right? And I don't mean that like gospel, but I, I, I like a plan. I like an executable plan. I like, I, know, I like to know what we're having for dinner tomorrow. But you know, like, I just, I like to know things to a fault. But as I've studied Hebrews and as I've examined my own sinful heart, um, true Christian faith actually roots out this unhealthy desire to know 
and to be in control. Two myths that I often believe that I'm in control and I know what tomorrow holds. I have no idea. I have no idea what's around the next corner or bend for my life or for my family or for our nation or for our church. But while there are a lot of unknowns, there is one massive known, and that's the capital V victory. We say it a lot in the church like this, that we can be uncertain of a lot of things, but there's one thing we are certain of. We know how the story ends. We know that the story ends in capital V victory, in Jesus being victorious, right? He's already been victorious over death, hell, sin, in the grave. But there is a coming victory where all things are made right. And so as believers with eyes of faith, we look toward that. And I love the way that, that this chapter ends. The writer goes, since God had provided something better for us, all of those Old Testament people that were unpacked that we've spent eight weeks talking about, listen, they could only see a future Messiah that they knew very dimly and foggily. Listen, we know who it is. King Jesus, the victor, the one who holds the keys, the one whom victory is all wrapped up in. It's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. And so listen, I want to end the last words that roll out of my lips for you for the next eight weeks. The last word you hear me preach out of Hebrews 11 is this, it is all about Jesus, the victor. The victory is secured. But I don't know how this is going to work out. The victory is secured. If your faith and trust is in Christ, let me tell you about the capital V victory that is secure. Whether the lowercase v victories come in your preference and your opinion, I don't know, but we can trust in Jesus. You can trust he is going to be with you. You can trust that he is going to walk with you. You can trust that his plans for you are good and he'll be glorified in it all whether it's verses 33 through 34 or verses 35 through 38. Let me pray for us. Father, um, God, I'm confident in this prayer because you've been doing it since day one, that you desire for your people full lives, lives of abundance. But Lord, we have misdefined that time and time again. Lord, teach us what it means to be full of your Holy Spirit. Teach us what it means to be a people abundant with faith in your son, Jesus. Teach us as a church what it means to fully walk with you, to deeply be shaped by your spirit Lord, you, you have been drawing us as a community deeper and deeper into a place, God, places of trust and security that our hearts naturally don't go. But by faith, we confess we want to. Give us the desire. God, give, give us more faith. Help us in our unbelief. The most honest prayer in all the scriptures, I believe. Help us in our unbelief. Help us in those areas, in those places where we, even as Christians, don't trust you, Lord. That you're not reigning over. 
And God, those places where our minds are wondering, the, 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 the things in our life and in our church that, God, we're really struggling with. We're struggling seeing how you're present. We're struggling seeing how you're good. God, I pray that that you would graciously show us a renewed picture of your character, of your nature, of your faithful hand who has been with us, who has been with generations past, whom we've seen healings, we've seen salvations, we've seen the miraculous, oh God. God, we've seen the tragedies. We've seen the struggles. We've seen the losses. And oh God, I pray that you would help us to see all of those with the eyes of faith, the eyes of trust. Now, Lord, I pray that even as we go into this upcoming week, God, I pray that those opportunities and those moments where, God, we will have to work this out in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would be faithful And God, in those areas where we just frankly drop the ball and are not faithful, convict us swiftly. Show us, illuminate, so that we might return to you, so that we might come back home. Father, I love you. I thank you for this church and the journey you have her on. May she continue to glorify you in a watching world. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.